What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Passing Downs Podcast. I'm your host, Rahul Padi, and I'm here with my co-host, PD. PD, say what's up. What's up? And we're back today with another one of our new format, uh, weekly review and previews. Uh, we're going to start up with our new series, Three Up, Three Down, talk about three good quarterbacks and three bad quarterbacks for the week each. Uh, give shine to some good performances, but also some bad ones as well this year. Uh, and then we'll go into a couple of questions we have from the games uh, coming up next week, uh, as well as a couple of charting notes in general to end it off. But before we get into that, just a quick shout out to our socials. Uh, just follow us on, please follow us on Twitter at PD34 underscore and at Real Rahul Potty 2 uh, if you like these takes and want to hear more of it on Twitter. Uh, also, like, follow, subscribe, do whatever you can on the platform you're watching to support the podcast if you haven't already. Uh, we'd appreciate it a lot. And with that being said, I say we jump right into our three up, three down, starting off with the three good performances. And I'll let you take it away, PD, with your first good quarterback of the week. Yeah, so this one, probably the best quarterback performance I saw all week, um, and that came from Josh Allen. Josh Allen was absolutely dominant in this game against the Bills. Um, only one really, truly bad play that I, that I saw, um, which was a sack. Everything else was incredible. Starts off on his first sequence of the game, throws two absolute dimes. First one to Stefan Diggs while he's backpedaling, throws a deep, deep outbreaking route with exceptional anticipation, and then follows it up with a pump fake on a swing screen type thing, and then just fires it for a touchdown to Gabe Davis. Very, very impressive. Um, has a string of shorter completions until the end of the quarter, uh, or at, until the end of the second half, where um, he throws a perfect pass uh, in a tight window to Khalil Shakir, and Shakir just doesn't really track it um, or make a catch attempt particularly well at all on that play. Um, and then in the third quarter, he has this exceptional play where he's moving full speed to his right, just kind of flicks it. Looks like it's going to be a throwaway, but hits James Cook in stride for a 49-yard gain. Very, very impressive play under pressure. And then closes out, that quarter with two uh, impressive passes again. First one to Stefan Diggs um, for a 13-yard touchdown. That was pretty impressive. Um, and then he hits Gabe Davis again. Um, the ball's a little bit behind him, but still good enough for a 34-yard gain. Um, and then they finish up the game. Uh, Josh Allen has a nice run for a touchdown. Um, and then he has a drop on his um, last pass of the game where Trent Sherfield, I thought he could have got two. The ball was a little bit low, but... Um, a really nice pass in tight window. So Josh Allen with a very, very dominant performance. Um, I mentioned it a couple times, but um, in the stats that in the stat that I track uh, of true points added per play, um, a dominant performance MVP level stuff is uh, 0.38 plus Josh Allen with a 0.617, which is out of this world, one of the best games of this year. Um, he was efficient, accurate, um, and very, very aggressive, pushing the ball down the field and was really successful when he did so. From a, uh, from a specific accuracy perspective, 62.5 perfect pass rate in this game, which is extremely impressive considering that his average at the target was almost 10. Um, just an absolutely dominant performance. Um, only a couple of hiccups here and there in terms of pressure management, but he very much made up for it throughout the game with a ton of positive plays. Yeah, absolutely agree with a lot of what you said there. And to me, I think the dominance of Allen's performance, even though you don't always see it just kind of 
show up in the box score or basic stats. You do kind of see it in this game where the Bills get a massive result, like winning 48-20 against the Dolphins. Obviously, this was a very hyped-up matchup coming into the week. A lot of people did think it was going to be a shootout with how good the uh, Dolphins' offense has looked. And obviously, they came out with a great uh, game plan to slow down that Dolphins' offense. But Josh Allen absolutely held up his side of the bargain. Uh, He was incredible. Almost every drive was a scoring drive here because of how accurate he was all day long. Uh, Like PD said, many, many explosive plays. And this was a rare Josh Allen game where we didn't really see a whole lot of mistakes either alongside a lot of those big explosives. So when you have that from Allen, it's always going to be a huge day. Uh, So very dominant performance from him. And moving on from one divisional matchup where – one team lead laid an absolute beat down to another. Uh, but we're going to take it all the way to the NFC West here with the Niners and Cardinals and looking at Brock Purdy's performance here. And after a week where I had to talk about him uh, in the baggage category, uh, it's really refreshing to see him here playing, putting up a much better performance against a pretty obviously weaker Cardinals defense. But still, nonetheless, he looked very, very good in this one. Uh, just from the basic stats, you can kind of tell uh, he was 20 for 21, which is 97, 90, uh, I think, 6 or 97 percent uh, completion percentage, 283 yards, one touchdown, only took one sack. Uh, he also ran in a touchdown as well on a QB, QB sneak. So very, very prolific game from him. And while watching the film, uh, it really backed it up. I think the most important part for Purdy in this game was him kind of reverting back to playing what he was best at, which is the quick game. Obviously, with this Niners offense and Kyle Shanahan offense, uh, Purdy does have a lot of opportunities to step back, quick three, five-step drop, and just get rid of the ball to an incredible amount of playmakers, and he did that in this game. But he's also not afraid to fire the ball downfield. Obviously, him being not the most athletic quarterback with the biggest arm, you don't see him go downfield in a lot of games, and that's where we see him struggle a little bit, like last couple of weeks. Or if he did go downfield in those weeks, he struggled with accuracy or actually connecting on hitting pretty wide-open receivers. And we saw that improve massively in this game. Uh, Even on plays where he necessarily didn't even need to go deep, we were seeing him attack, which is what is necessary out of Purdy because that makes this offense a whole lot more unpredictable when they're able to go deep when teams don't expect it. And you really saw that synergy with Brandon Ayuk go very viral in this one because there were a couple of plays we saw that deep connection from Purdy to Ayuk. One particularly before the half, it was a 40-yard pass downfield to Ayuk. You see Ayuk split the safeties on what appears to be like a deep post. And Purdy just lays it on the money, right in, threads the needle between the two safeties, gets it to Ayuk before either of the safeties can get there, and gives him a chance to get a couple more yards. And we saw them connect at the start of the second half again for another, I believe it was a 30-something odd throw. And it was another play where Ayuk just gets between uh, linebackers and safeties on a little bit of a crossing route this time. And Purdy just lays it over the middle with nice touch, gets it over those linebackers and safeties, throws it before with anticipation, before Ayuk's even open there, and just kind of layers it on the money to him 
gets it to an op- uh, gets it to him in an opportunity where he has space to move. Uh, I also thought he did a great job of just dumping it off to Christian McCaffrey, who's always going to get you a whole lot of yards in open space because he's so elusive. And he did a good job of getting the ball there when he was in a little bit of trouble, whereas in previous weeks we saw him throw it away, take a bad sack, make mistakes that he really doesn't need to. So overall, I thought this was an incredible game. The only issue was maybe not getting guys like Kittle and Debo involved, but Debo did ha- come into the inj- uh, game with a little bit of injury, and Kittle just really didn't fit in with the game plan of the game. So overall, pretty flawless game from him, and definitely in the lead category for me. Yeah, I was really impressed. Um, I think Brandon Ayuk looks like a pretty dominant player, which is Absolutely. pretty surprising to say after what happened during the 2021 season and a little bit of the 2022 season, but mm-hmm. um, he, he looks like he's going to take the next step and become a Pro Bowl receiver this year. Uh, from what I can see. Um, all right, let's move on from one pro bowler to another. Um, and that's Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts was awesome in this game against the commanders. Um, and finally, uh, after a few weeks of struggling with it, um, Jalen Hurts deep ball was in full swing in this game. So the first half was a little bit slow to start. Um, he had one pass deep down the field to Devonte Smith, which is kind of a jump ball. Um, Missed on another deep one uh, earlier in the second quarter um, and was relatively quiet for the rest of the game, just short completions. Uh, but in that second half, oh my goodness, did A.J. Brown and Jalen Hurts get get it going. Um, throws a perfect hole shot um, on his first impactful pass of the third quarter. Um, deep down the left sideline, just threads it in between the co- corner and the safety for a 28-yard gain. Um, and then hits A.J. Brown again uh, deep down the field, another dot. Um, this one... 30 yards down the field, and A.J. Brown does the rest, taking it for a 59-yard touchdown. Um, and then to open the fourth quarter, Jalen Hurts has an incredible scramble um, where he dips and rips to avoid the pressure from the edge, um, breaks the linebacker's ankles, and scrambles for a 24-yard gain. Really, really impressive play there. Um, he does have a turnover-worthy play on a third and long where he just kind of chucks up a jump ball to A.J. Brown, and it comes up short. Um but he makes up for it later in the quarter with a couple of intermediate completions and then another amazing pass to A.J. Brown for a 28-yard touchdown on the money um, in a relatively – or not not tight window. A.J. Brown has a step, but um, perfectly placed ball with not extreme amount of separation. Um, and then in the overtime, he wasn't doing too much. He had an intentional grounding, which I thought was just a miscommunication between him and A.J. Brown um, and just relatively short completions for the rest of the game. Um, the negative plays that he did take in this game, I mentioned the turnover-worthy play, and there's a few sacks in there, which I thought he could have avoided. But um, Hertz was incredibly impactful in this one, looked like a dominant player, looked like the player who was in contention to win MVP at some points last year, um, and it was on the back of that deep ball. So really, really impressive explosive playmaking from the Eagles offense in this one, um, and Jalen Hurts was at the forefront of that. To me, this Jalen Hurts performance honestly came as a surprise. I mean, we talked about it on the previews going into next week. And I was more surprised with that commander's performance. And after having the context of this week's Thursday night game, the way they played against the Bears, it does surprise me, even with the divisional matchup, how much they competed with uh, the Eagles. And that's really why I didn't expect this Jalen Hurts deep ball to come alive because I expected them to just run the game out at that point. But I suppose it's a blessing in disguise for the Eagles, this game being 
so close because Jalen Hurts' deep ball absolutely came alive. And we finally saw that elite A.J. Brown performance where he really just takes over a game. Uh, and when you have these kind of games where Hurts is firing, A.J. Brown's firing, you still have the run game playing well, but it's not like the primary focus. That's where the Eagles are absolutely the most effective, the most dangerous. Uh, I know PD agrees from what we've talked about outside. And it's great that the Eagles were able to kind of get this alive in a game that wasn't as high stakes necessarily. I think they had control of it a lot of the way, uh, but they were still able to exercise this facet of the offense. And that second touchdown pass deep to A.J. Brown that I saw where A.J. Brown just cooks a defensive back. It looks almost like a busted coverage. And Jalen Hurts just delivers it on the money down the sideline for a score. That's when I realized this connection had really gotten things going. Uh, But moving on from one very close game in the NFC to another blowout divisional matchup in the AFC, uh, in the Ravens-Browns, I'm going to get into Lamar Jackson. And another player who had a rough game to start off the season and after after a little bit of struggle, he's really picked it up as of late. Not only did he have a great performance last week, he came in with another fantastic performance in this game. And to me, the thing that impressed me most in this game was this Ravens team was kind of supposed to be this new era Ravens team which played more spread through the ball a lot spread it to these new receivers they brought in and they were supposed to abandon the whole ground and pound sort of scheme they had coming into the seasons before with Lamar Jackson and the way this game kind of shook out the Ravens kind of had to fall back on that game and we saw more or that type of offensive scheme and we saw Lamar Jackson really thrive in kind of the system that makes him play the best. And we saw a typical game out of him, a game where a lot of his receivers are underperforming. They weren't really getting open against his Brown secondary. And it was really just him making things happen, finding Mark Andrews a lot. We saw that synergy work very well. Uh, And Lamar just coming out and putting up a great performance in the ground as well and winning a game that way, really putting this offense on his back and being a fantastic floor raiser here in order to win them this game. And a couple of plays really stuck out to me in that. Uh, One was, I'd say, obviously, the two rushing touchdowns, even though he wasn't that impactful in terms of uh, making a lot of big uh, uh, rushing gains in terms of yardage. I think he was absolutely incredible in converting in the red zone. I think the first touchdown really showed it a 10-yard rushing touchdown right up the middle, and it seemed like the Browns couldn't even lay a hand on him. He just walks right through the middle of the field for a touchdown, shows how quick and elusive he really is. And I thought that dynamic was important because it shows how lethal this Ravens offense is in the red zone where space is really closed down. You don't have a whole lot more you can call. And if you can just run up the middle with 10 blockers, because Lamar Jackson obviously holding the football, Uh, It adds a whole other layer to this offense, which the Ravens have been abusing for years, and it's still absolutely lethal. And he was incredible in the passing game as well. A lot of plays where we saw his playmaking ability in action, one that comes to mind immediately uh, was early in the second quarter. You see him under a lot of pressure with obviously this Browns uh, defensive line being pretty good all day long, getting to him pretty often. 
and he was able to kind of leak right and throw the ball across the middle of the field, across his body to Mark Andrews, hits him wide open on the left side of the field and gets him gets it to him to where he can still run, make a couple of people miss, and pick up a 36-yard gain here. One of his biggest plays of the day. And in general, we didn't get a lot of explosives in this game like that one because of the way Lamar Jackson plays. But even though he wasn't creating a lot of big 40-plus yards plays aside from that and another deep Zay Flowers throw. He was very consistent in hitting his receivers underneath accurately, uh, continuing picking up 10 yards, which every set of downs, and just producing good offense that way. So good game from Lamar. Yeah, Lamar has been pretty impressive this season aside from one little thing. So I just wanted to mention it, but Lamar has six fumbles this year, which is like Ooh. pretty brutal for – four games, uh, had another two in this Cleveland game. So ball security has been a big issue in that specific facet. He hasn't really been putting the ball in harm's way uh, in terms of throwing interceptable passes, but um, yeah, the fumbles count too, and they're not going to show up in the basic slash line of uh, yards, touchdowns, interceptions, uh, whatever it is. Um, so yeah, if he could fix that going forward, I could buy him as a real candidate for MVP, but um, as it stands now, just, Way too many fumbles, and, and these are like unforced fumbles, like the ones that we saw against Houston and Indy, just like bad fumbles that you, you shouldn't be having. This game, again, um, as a runner, uh, multiple fumbles, not in the passing game, but um, yeah, just yeah, I, I just want to see him protect the ball better, um, and I, I, I think he can going forward. Um, fumbling has been a brutal problem for him throughout his career, but um, improved in the last couple of seasons after 2020, and um, he has fallen back to earth this year. Um, all right. So let's move on to another AFC quarterback, and that's Russell Wilson. So we haven't talked about Russell Wilson, despite the fact that he's been playing le- better than last year, just kind of as a sample size question mark. Um, and this game, he was pretty impressive, I thought. Um, so the Broncos really protected Russ as much as they possibly could. Um, he didn't really throw a pass deep down the field that was successful for uh, until the third quarter, really. Um, in the third quarter, he has a pass around the 14-minute mark on a third and six where um, he pushes it deep, deep down the field, 50 yards-ish to Jerry Judy. Judy just kind of quits on the route. Um, so that was his one opportunity there until the third quarter. The rest of the time, it was just screens most of the time. And he does take um, a sack that I thought was his fault and has an 11-yard scramble, which was a solid play. Uh, but he woke up in the fourth quarter in a big, big way. Um, he has an intermediate completion for nine yards uh, and then throws an absolute dime uh, to Judy for a big-time gain of 26 yards. Um, after a throwaway and a short completion um, and another incompletion, he has another great throw, this one in a tight window to Cortland Sutton uh, for the touchdown. Um, very, very impressive throw. Um, and then on the game-winning drive, um, he throws – uh, a great throw to Marvin Mims, 30 yards down the field. Um, Mims does, does some work after the catch for a 49 to make it a 49-yard gain. Um, and then Russ has another great throw to Cortland Sutton, but he just drops it um, in a tight window on a third and 10. So uh, there was a chance for more impact there. So generally, not very many negative plays for Russ in this one, only two of them throughout the whole game. And big-time explosive plays towards the end of the game um, to really lead Denver into that comeback attempt. Um, I really am, like, very, very 
optimistic about the way that the Broncos offense is structured through four weeks. They've done a great job using play action and screens to really protect Russ, not make him make too many decisions where he has to see over the line of scrimmage, um, work through the middle of the field, just keeping it at his bread and butter of short passes and um, sporadic deep passes where he can make big app, a big impact in, in small chunks. Um, so yeah, very, very impressed with the way that, uh, the Broncos offense is structured here, and Russ has been very, very good, especially in comparison to last year. Yeah, absolutely. And I like the way you mentioned uh, the whole kind of first half, second half thing, because I also agree that I feel like the Broncos offense, especially to start the year, and in general, just haven't fully trusted Russell Wilson. And that second half, we almost saw vintage Russell Wilson kind of showing where he comes back from behind, uh, puts drives after drives together where it seems like you just can't stop him. He's getting completion after completion and comes back and wins this game for the Broncos. And it almost felt like Russell Wilson was back watching that, uh, the way he was playing. We saw the his playmaking ability in action where the Bears weren't getting a whole lot of pressure on him, but there were a couple of plays where things simply broke down and Russell Wilson was able to get out of the pocket and make a play. We saw his kind of elite ability of not putting the ball in harm's way, which absolutely came in question last year when he was doing it quite often. His vision just didn't really seem where it was and he was able he was able to put up a very good performance here without really putting the ball in harm's way so definitely very impressive it seems like Russell Wilson has kind of turned things around and honestly this Broncos team may have looked good if they were able to keep the defense at a similar level to where it was last year so very very strange situation over there but I guess a rare bright spot is the way Russell Wilson is playing football right now and going from one team kind of on the downturn there to a team absolutely on the upturn with the way their quarterback is playing in C.J. Stroud. And C.J. Stroud has absolutely blown all the expectations, even but what both of us had, even what I had as someone who was a little bit higher than C.J. Stroud than the consensus. I think all of that considered, he's still blown kind of everyone out of the water the way he's come into this league, especially on a team like the Texans, who granted, I think their weapons are a lot better than what we expected them to have. But still, almost half his offensive line is on IR. The other half is injured as well. And Houston kind of has a ragtag bunch of offensive linemen playing right now. And one of the biggest things and biggest concerns we had about Stroud coming into this Texans team was how he was going to cope with the constant pressure coming at him because he doesn't have the best offensive line in the world and because of how much he struggled against the pressure uh, in college and in general where teams threw a lot of pressure at him in different phases. And coming into the Steelers game, obviously with T.J. Watt, leading the league in sacks, the Steelers team being a pretty vicious front seven in general. Uh, I think both of us didn't expect the best day out of C.J. Stroud, and he absolutely uh, proved us wrong. And I think the biggest thing for me is absolutely the thing I've just mentioned, the pressure management. Uh, I think even though he did have a lot of pressure in his face this day, he never seemed like he was under duress because he has just a knack to get rid of the ball very quickly when he needs to be. And it's something that we didn't really see out of him in college, maybe because he didn't need to as much. But his decision-making has just been a lot more on point 
the way he's able to deliver under the face of all all of this issues and the deep playability we saw at Ohio State I was a little skeptical about it because he did have NFL caliber receivers in college playing against Big Ten defenses were nowhere near that level of guys like Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, JSN, etc. at Ohio State. And for whatever reason, C.J. Stroud's ability to make these big explosive plays happen has maintained in the NFL, and it's absolutely shown it's not because he had these elite receivers, or part of it was, but it's also because he's just it has that ability to deliver dimes downfield and just hit people in the tightest of windows when they have a little bit of space downfield. And we saw it multiple times in this game with Nico Collins, uh, that 52-yard touchdown pass he had over the middle of the field. Absolutely incredible. And to me, the biggest thing is his ability to do it with different people. It's not because he has just Nico Collins, because we saw last week him do the same thing with a guy like Tank Dell, who's also a elite deep threat. But Nico Collins is clearly the number one here, and he was able to perform very well in a kind of weak Nico Collins game. And he's able to just get everybody involved. We even see a guy like Dalton Schultz, who's been kind of used the same way in Dallas for a very long time. And he comes here to Houston, and he's a little bit more of a vertical threat because of the way C.J. Stroud plays football. Uh, he even spreads the ball out to guys like Robert Woods, John Mechie even getting him involved a little bit. Uh, it's kind of just, he looks very complete. I think there is still some accuracy issues there, something especially under pressure, something we talked about coming into the year. Uh, I do think there will be some games in general in the future where he has had a decently tough schedule, but he still has not played an elite defense, which has both an elite front seven and a good secondary. And I think in games like those, he will struggle a bit more. But it's wild that we're even considering something like that this early on in his career because rookies like him, usually they won't perform against unless it's a pretty bad defense. And now we're talking about him having to face an elite defense and seeing how he'll perform against that. The only semblance he saw is maybe that Ravens defense week one where he didn't look the best. But since then, he's been pretty lights out. And it's been pretty amazing to see. Yeah, so I could... Maybe we will make some sort of podcast with a rookie check-in um, around the time we do Pro Bowl loading. But um, I could I could write an essay about the way Stroud is playing right now. Um, one thing I will say, um, just so that I don't go on ranting here, um, try to keep it short. Um, Stroud in this game, um, I disagree that he was under a ton of pressure. So for me, um, for my charting, he has eight pressured snaps. From PFF's charting, he has 10, um, which is right... Like, it's below average for um, the number of pressured snaps that you would see on Stroud's 30 dropbacks or 32 dropbacks. Um, and I think that the pressure did show up for him a little bit. Um, he does have an intentional grounding that I thought he could have avoided. Um, makes a really nice throw under pressure late in the third quarter um, to Nico Collins to kind of make up for it. Um, so I would yeah. say overall he was kind of a neutral in this game under pressure. Um, the thing that's popped to me about Stroud, so um, you did say that I was lower on Stroud than you, which is true. Um, but the way I described him was more like boomer bust. So for mm -hmm. Stroud, he's – so I, I don't want to get too effusive with my praise here because it's early in the season. But um, I think that Bobby Slowick has 
probably cemented himself as a top half play caller already, at least. Um, he's doing a fantastic job dialing up these concepts um, in kind of an old school Shanahan type way, I would say, um, where there's, uh, of course, he comes from that that um, from that Shanahan tree, so it makes sense that it would be like that. But the use of the deep dig routes, um, putting defenders in conflict deep down the field, it's really, really good to watch. Um, yeah. Nico Collins, I think he probably... Uh, if the season ended right now, he would make my Pro Bowl team. Um, he's been fantastic. His his ability to separate with his size um, and even use his his um, athletic ability in terms of yards after catch has been really good. Um, the yards after catch stuff doesn't affect C.J. Stroud's level of play, but um, it is helpful for the sake of the offense. Um, and then Tank Dell has been um, a solid plus for me. Um, so I will say that that Stroud is in like a very good situation, honestly, right now. And it's way, way better than expected. Like you said, we came into the game expecting Stroud to be under a ton of pressure. But what we didn't realize is that Sloic's scheme, um, combined with Stroud's quick decision-making, of course, I have to credit that, um, has yeah. really put the offensive line in a good situation to where I think that they honestly turned in like an average to above average game, which is saying a lot considering they have second string and third string guys all over the all over the line. Um, so yeah, I, I, after the first week where they came out against the Ravens and were throwing a ton of screens, um, and had porous offensive line play, I, I voiced my concern. Like you could see, um, on the Twitter thread that I posted, I said, I'm concerned about the offense because of the way that it looked throwing all those screens and, and such. Um, but right. yeah, in the, in the three weeks since they've just absolutely taken off in terms of scheme. And I think that going forward, I would expect them to continue to mitigate offensive line concerns, um, and so it, it, it puts me in this bind in terms of Stroud evaluation because the way that I view him is that in a great situation, he is he's already a dominant player. He's yep. I would say he's already like top five to ten in terms of his ability in a clean pocket. He's he's incredible. Um, but I still think that concerns about his pressure ability remain. Um, and we'll probably have to wait a little bit longer to see that. Um there doesn't seem to be someone coming up on the schedule soon for the Texans to not at really, all. really crank up that. I, I guess the Saints defense has given uh, people problems, but um, I, I honestly trust the Slovak to, to do a good job there. So um, we might have to wait until the Jets game for the, the pressure to really crank up on Stroud, regardless of scheme and uh, opposing talent. But yeah. Uh, I said I wouldn't ramble. I rambled a little bit there, but yeah. I, and real I'm... quick before we move on, I want to touch on something because you mentioned how like he wasn't necessarily as much under pressure that game, and that there is still concerns about him under pressure. And I would agree with those things. But my more point was that we came into the year thinking that Stroud was going to be a massive negative under pressure, like he was in college, especially this first year. And I think especially if you told me, even in the offseason or to start the year, that pretty much his entire offensive line would be, like you said, second stringers and third stringers at this point of the year, that he would likely struggle against especially good front sevens like Pittsburgh because of how he's dealt with pressure in the past. But we're at a point right now where we can confidently say about Stroud that, like you said, he is one of the best at managing pockets in the entire league in terms of quarterbacks already. He's already shown that he's got a quick decision-making and ability that we didn't really see at Ohio State because it wasn't really needed to be exercised or maybe he still developed it over this last couple of months but in preparation for being under duress more uh, as a Texan. But 
we've kind of seen him take major leaps in his game already very early on to mitigate the pressure issue, which, yeah, still has a lot of concerns. But he's shown he multiple times, like you said, especially with that second Nico Collins touchdown pass, that he can play underneath the pressure. And even when he is in a not that great of a situation in terms of offensive line play, and he may be in a game that they have a lot of pressure, the scheme is kind of able to mitigate what he has going on in terms of issues he may have playing in those situations. And honestly, that's not really something I could have seen, especially this early on in his career. So props to him for that. And I'll let us move on from all the good play to the bad ones here with the three down. Yeah. um, So let's talk about the bad stuff. Unfortunately, we have to touch on it. Um, Let's go from one pocket passer to another. Um, and talk about Joe Burrow. Um, and Joe Burrow was brutal in this game. It was really difficult to watch, uh, but I managed to get my way through it. Um, the first part of this game, they were just throwing screens, short check down stuff. Um, and then Burrow has a turnover the play on the goal line, which I think um, the scheme kind of hurts him in the situation. It's double slant, and his receiver kind of allows for the DB to carry into that interceptable pass attempt. Um, but I, I still don't think he sh- he should have thrown that. I think he misread the coverage, um, even though um, his receiver could have done a better job setting up the defender. Um, really, um, he throws a nice um, pass to Jamar Chase um, outside the numbers, and that was a nice completion for 12 yards. Um, after that, he doesn't really do anything for the next string of plays, a ton of incompletions and a sack, which I didn't think was his fault, but another negative play there. Um Finishes up the second quarter with a string of short completions. Um, and then uh, into the third quarter, he has... Well, so the Titans go on a 10-minute drive to start the quarter. Um, and then the Bengals get the ball. Um, Burrow puts together a few short completions, intermediate completions. Um, they get to the Titans' side of the field. And then he has uh, a sack fumble, which I didn't think was his fault. He kind of got hit while throwing, but um, another play where the Bengals weren't able to generate offense. Um, and then in the fourth quarter... Um, after another string of short completions, um, and a couple of them, the Bengals receivers were able to get some yards after catch for, so that's good for the sake of the Bengals offense. Um, and then Burrow takes a bad sack, a uh, 10 yard sack where I thought he could have gotten rid of the ball. There's no one to, to specifically throw to that's specifically open, but, um, I thought there was a window there to get, get rid of the ball. Um, and then the last play of the game, which like really like, it made me really sad to see, honestly, it's fourth and 13. Um, they're on. Um, the 63 yard line um, and Burrow has to get the ball off. Like at, at, you, you have to get the ball off. Um, and he tries to take a couple of hitches um, and uncork it deep down the field because that's where all his receivers are. And he just can't pull the trigger. And that's, that's just like such a deeply concerning play. Um, it just, it just makes me really sad because if he's not healthy enough to even try to push the ball 35 yards down the field, um, yeah, Bengals offense just doesn't have their fastball. Um, their fastball is Joe Burrow using his precise, um, honestly, all-time great touch um, to cut defenses up deep down the field, throw hole shots, um, use his use his touch to layer balls over defenders. And yeah, if he doesn't have that, I mean, Bengals offense seems kind of done. Yeah. That I th- I love that you brought up that last point right there because I think one of the biggest stories of uh, what we've at least talked about in terms of the Bengals this year is 
why Joe Burrow even started off the year playing, why he's still playing right now after that, like, calf retweak. And I do understand the backup there is Jake Browning, very little experience, and honestly probably going to play worse than what they have out of Burrow right now. But I think it's a shame that he's on the field the way he is right now, where he's in a clearly hobbled state. And I'm not sure it's the same play we're talking about here, but I think one where it really showed up was a similar play, or maybe it is the same one, where Joe Burrow has an empty right side of the pocket and a left side of the of the pocket collapsing. And I'd say typically in that situation with Burrow having the kind of right side of the pocket sealed off, plenty of green uh, space on that right side, we'd normally see Joe Burrow kind of take off or move forward into that space, kind of establish himself in a better position, and then just deliver that ball, uncork it downfield like you mentioned. Uh, But we saw in this game, he just doesn't have the athletic mobility right now to kind of shuffle out of the pocket, make those quick movements over there and unload that throw. And we see him get hit as he throws, fumbled the ball, and it ends up being a crucial play in this game that ends up losing them this game. And I know this Titans front seven is good, but it certainly should not be at a level right now for them to lock up this Bengals offense to the point of them scoring three points. And I really don't understand what the point of Joe Burrow having played those games when they're one and three right now. Joe Burrow's still injured, and they really don't have any hopes of making this season or pulling the season to success at this point. With them being four season, four games in, really no sign of Joe Burrow getting back to health anytime soon, unless he rests. And at that point, you're maybe six, seven games in the hole. So really, really confuses me why the Bengals have put Joe Burrow in this situation, why they've put themselves in this situation. And I'd agree he's playing bad, but it's the, the calf is clearly bothering him. We see it in plenty of plays. And it, like you said, it, it is kind of infuriating and concerning. Uh, but moving on from one elite quarterback who really didn't have the best day to the other guy who joined him in my top two quarterbacks of the league coming into this year, who also had a rough performance and likely dropped himself out of that conversation from the time being uh, in Patrick Mahomes. And in this situation, it had nothing to do with injury. And it was just Patrick Mahomes putting up a stinker. And before I get into his game, I need to say that this Jets defense absolutely looks legit. The way they played not only Mahomes in this one, but Josh Allen, uh, even someone on a lower scale like Mac Jones the previous week, it's kind of wild how good this Jets defense is and goes to show how good they could have been uh, had they had a healthy Aaron Rodgers this year. Uh, But moving on from that to Patrick Mahomes. And Patrick Mahomes is as good as he is. He does have one of these games from time to time, even once a season, you could say, where he just looks incredibly inaccurate. The explosives aren't hitting because he's not hitting on his deep passes. He's scrambling a lot more than we're used to because things aren't going his way. Maybe it's because his receivers just weren't open downfield and he was forced to throw into a lot of uh, tight windows. And today just simply wasn't his day in terms of accuracy. And we saw a lot of those tight window throws not really come into fruition. I had him throw the ball directly in a harm's way three different times in this one, two being the interceptions, which both were pretty bad. But I thought one of his worst throws of the day was on a third and 20 where he gets kind of bailed out on a sauce gardener hold 
but that hold was on the opposite side of the field and Mahomes actually had thrown it to the other side of the field and got pretty lucky because he throws a direct interception that gets wiped off because of uh, unrelated hold. We also see those two interceptions both coming very early in drives and it was him just trying to push the the ball downfield where he really didn't need to. One was even to a guy like Noah Gray, who, to be quite frank, in those situations where it's maybe a 50-50 ball or really tight coverage, we've seen him fit balls into something like that last week. But honestly, I don't really want him going to Noah Gray in a situation like that. And then not only is it not the best read, he throws it kind of inaccurately. It becomes a somewhat easy pick. Uh, for this Jets team on the first play of the drive, and he comes out and does it again later that half. First play of the drive, tries to go deep to Travis Kelsey, uh, deep down the left sideline, and once again, it was too tight of a window. He doesn't make an accurate enough throw to make such a tight window, and he just throws the pick. And he doesn't really get sacked too many times. He does have one fumble, which I think he picks up, but still another fourth turnover-worthy play here. And to me, absolutely does not make up for it in terms of explosives. There weren't really any explosives for me in this game. And I think this type of game against this Jets defense where his players aren't really getting a whole lot of separation in terms of receivers, even someone like Travis Kelsey, who's kind of his star here, even he wasn't necessarily creating a lot of plays for Mahomes. And I think a game like this... He should have done what we've seen him do plenty of times in the past where he kind of settles himself down, realizes this isn't a game where he can go deep, and he just keeps it underneath and just cuts through this Jets defense slowly and surely, uh, gets them downfield doing that. And we do kind of see him do that towards the end of the game. We see him scramble a lot more in that final drive to kind of just make something happen in a bad situation, but... For whatever reason, he kind of wanted to force the issue in him playing his game of going downfield consistently and taking deep shots in a game that didn't really lend itself to that. And it forced them in a situation to where they almost lost in those middle quarters where nothing was happening because of the way Mahomes was playing. Because they did come out really good in that first quarter. They were able to kind of seal off the game in the fourth quarter with a good drive or two, but... There's a significant middle time of the game where it seemed like he was making mistakes left and right. And that's what puts him in this category. Yeah, so um, I don't chart penalty uh, involved plays. So I only came up with uh, three turnover plays for Mahomes in this one. First one, the interception um, where he's throwing to Noah Gray, just a brutal, brutal pass. Um yeah, he tries to touch it over. Um, it's, it's a good idea in theory. It's a tight window throw where he tries to touch it over. I think it's a linebacker to Noah Gray, but comes up like 10 yards short. Um, just an ugly pick. Um, the second one, not as bad. Um, he It was it was kind of a, a two-minute drive. They have 26 seconds left um, from their own 42-yard line, and um, he tries to push it deep down the field. Not the greatest decision, but um, I don't think situationally it was the worst thing he could have done. Um the one in the third quarter is a drop snap um, where I, I just really think he should have held off the ball, got kind of lucky. Um, and the fact that he was under center for this one kind of aids him a lot. Um, we saw Zach Wilson fumble the game away late in, in that game um, because he had a drop snap from from shotgun and uh, one of his offensive line lost offensive linemen lost decisively, um, allowing him to uh, have that turn into a turnover. Um, so, 
yeah, three turnover-worthy plays here for Mahomes. He does have one explosive play that I think should be mentioned. Um, so late in the fourth quarter, third and 22 from their own 40, he has a 25-yard scramble where he's holding the ball for like eight seconds. Um, and it was very impressive. He just kind of um, noticed that all the defenders had their backs turned in man um, and just made a great, great play um, to go pick up the first down. Uh, but yeah, other than that, he, he really didn't make up for it. Um, yeah, just a brutal, brutal day um, that probably hurts his overall season um, level of play quite a bit. Um, I'm sure he'll bounce back and, and push towards um, the top of the QB rankings for the for the 2023 season um, mm-hmm. when we get towards the end of it. But uh, yeah, this was a brutal step in, in the wrong direction. Um, all right, so let's move on to the Vikings and Panthers game. And spoiler, I'm going to be talking about both quarterbacks on this on this uh, in this game. So. Uh, first, to start off with Kirk Cousins. Um, Cousins was low volume in this game, but he really did not make up for it with efficiency. So um, on his second pass attempt of the game, he throws a pretty horrible pick six, um, throws deep uh, out to the left side, um, almost a full second late, just just a horrible, horrible attempt. Uh, Madison just has no chance to make that play. Um, and yeah, it's just a pick six the other way, number 21. 21- Number 29 on, on the Panthers' defense just absolutely lays out Kirk Cousins on a block, which is kind of funny to watch. Um, and, yeah, he, he makes up for it a little bit um, with some nice intermediate passes, has a 22-yard uh, completion to Jefferson, um, hits him open, falls a little bit behind, but a good pass nonetheless. Um, he has a drop snap um, for a, a fumble here um, in the second quarter, so that, that really hurts him. Um, and then kind of finishes the second quarter on fire, I'm not going to lie. Um, a couple of short completions. He has a sack that isn't his fault, but then um, has a string of really nice completions for 16 and 19 yards, um, and then another 16-yard completion where it's just uh, a screen to Hawkinson. Um, the interception that he threw um, late in the second quarter, I didn't think was on him, just gets absolutely blasted while he's throwing. The ball goes uh, 20 feet up in the air and lands in a defender's hand. Um, so the third quarter um, doesn't really do too much, only has four plays here. Um, has a sack that I thought he could have gotten rid of the ball for, um, an incompletion and then a short completion that turns into a nine-yard gain, um, and then has a free play um, where he uh, he takes a shot deep down the field to Justin Jefferson for a 30-yard touchdown, really nicely thrown back shoulder pass. Um, that kind of made up for one of the turnover-worthy plays, in my opinion, but the other one just not, not enough here. Um, and then only has one pass where he has an incompletion in the fourth quarter. So um, Cousins didn't really do very much, but... In that situation, you really can't have multiple turnover-worthy plays. It's like almost impossible to come back from that in the absence of multiple big, big, big explosive plays. Um, and yeah, it was it was definitely not enough. And he fin- finished for me in terms of grading with, with well, well below average performance. Yeah, honestly, I think your overall grading there was accurate. But I feel like even within like the game, it's it, you were a little bit lenient on him because to me this performance was pretty atrocious and I would agree with a lot of the breakdown of the game but for me when you make two such big tur- turnover worthy mistakes as he did especially that first one which he was incredibly late and that's one of the worst plays you can make as a quarterback if not the worst when you're so deep into the other team's territory and you throw the ball across the field like that weekly to a point where a DB can just run it down the sideline for a pick six. That's one of the worst plays he could have made all day. And I'd agree that that second interception wasn't really his fault, but he does have a fumble later, which kind of does cost him and puts another turnover worthy play on the board. And I would also say that second pick was 
even though not necessarily his fault, another showing of kind of poor pocket management and awareness in terms of when he kind of just needs to tuck the ball and take the sack without trying to make something happen and letting that happen. But to me, when he makes those mistakes and doesn't make up for it whatsoever with any real explosives, he does have a couple of passes to Jefferson, but in general, no massive explosives here that really changed the outcome of the game. I think they would have been a lot deeper trouble had this Panthers offense, which you're about to talk about, had really anything going for them. I honestly think after those picks, he was a little bit less likely to push the ball downfield and a little bit more conservative than we've seen him in previous weeks. And it's kind of a recurring issue I have with Cousins where we see a lot of the time in these games where early on he makes mistakes, he switches up the way he plays completely. And I feel like that's really not something he can do when Kirk is at his best when he is super aggressive, as with most quarterbacks. But particularly Kirk Cousins, I think when he's attacking, getting chunk play after chunk play in consecutive drives and just leading these high-powered offenses, that's when Kirk is at his best. And when he takes himself out of that early in games because of the mistakes he's making, I feel like that's a big issue for concern and kind of the reason I'm so harsh on this game. Uh, but I think another similar quarterback, someone who gets compared to him a lot in the AFC and honestly plays a little bit like him and had a very similarly bad performance in this week was Mac Jones in this big Patriots-Cowboys game. And I think this is the second game in a row where Mac Jones has not played well and definitely does not bode well for kind of his future here. And I will say this Cowboys defense, obviously very, very good. Uh, and has shown already this season that they can put up these big defensive performances, scoring a lot of points. And we know this Patriots offense is not in the best state right now. Well, you could see from the film all day long, Mac Jones really didn't have anybody open. Uh, he wasn't dealing with the best situation. And I do think a lot of people would struggle where he is. But I think the biggest issue for him absolutely is the mistakes because I think you can live with – a Mac Jones who doesn't really throw the game away, but you kind of have to put your hands up because he doesn't have much help. But when he makes the kind of plays he does where he essentially threw this game away for the Patriots with multiple different plays, uh, at that point, I really can't give him the benefit of the doubt. And he's just playing terrible. For one, we saw a very similar play to what uh, we saw out of Kirk Cousins Uh, I believe it was late in that first half where you see him moving right. And for whatever reason, he tries to throw the ball across the field to the left. And the way Mac Jones plays football, where he doesn't have the biggest arm in the world, he's not the most athletic. He really shouldn't be trying to make these cross field plays where he's trying to make something happen out of nothing. And he just doesn't have the arm strong enough to deliver that ball. It gets massively undercut and just taken in for a touchdown. I'd say this was probably the worst pick I saw all day long. And even worse than the one we just saw to Kirk Cousins where he does a very similar thing. Uh, We also see him earlier that same half hold the ball way too long. He gets sacked very awkwardly. And as a result, it gets picked up and kind of wastes another drive and gives another touchdown to this Dallas Cowboys team. Uh, We see another interception early in the second half, which I'd say is his fault once again. 
not necessarily as bad as that first one, but clearly the wrong read. Doesn't see Bland coming in, <laughs> and Juju absolutely did not win that route. Kind of just throws another pretty easy uh, interception on a crucial fourth and two play that could have maybe brought them back into the game. And at that point, the rest of the way, it was just inaccurate pass after inaccurate pass. It seemed like Mac Jones had lost his confidence and was trying pretty evidently just trying to get out of the game without making anything happen to the point where they had to bench him for Bailey Zappi to end the game. Uh, who also didn't look the best. So overall, very poor performance. Getting benched by Bailey Zappi in any capacity is bad, and it's happened to him back-to-back seasons. So definitely a concerning game for me as someone who, yeah, I'm not too high on Mac Jones, but I didn't want to come see him come back this year, succeed, maybe even get similar to that level we saw out of his rookie year. But it seems like it's another step in the wrong direction at the moment. Yeah, so last time Mac was benched for Zappi, I think on this podcast we both came to his defense. Like the the benching in the game was was the bad decision, but um, this game I, I this yeah, is one of the this is this is one of the more deserved benchings I've ever seen. Um, mm-hmm. Mac was just brutally bad in this game, like one of the worst quarterback performances I've ever watched in my life. That level of bad, um, just he he just seemed like he didn't want to participate in the structure of the offense and. Also got the idea at the same time that he's Josh Allen. Like th- th- these these two things don't don't go in, in these things don't go together with a quarterback of Mac Jones skill set. So um, I had six turnover-worthy plays in this one. Um, there's multiple dropped interceptions here that are very bad. Um, the actual turnovers are brutally bad. Um, has a fumble in the run game on top of all the five turnover-worthy plays in the passing game. Just just nothing of substance here there's a couple of explosive plays just but just like nowhere near enough to make up for it um yeah one of the worst quarterback performances i've watched in my life it it was it was horrible to watch honestly yeah it was just and these are the type of games where we have to like start thinking about mac jones's future in new england because this is obviously not a performance that is predictive of him in the future but um the fact that he just decided to not participate in the structure of the offense is probably a signal in like the way that this offense is fitting him. Um, and yeah, we, we definitely have to be watch watchful going forward. Um, I was excited after the first week where he looked like he was making explosive plays, but um, yeah, th- this week was like tragically bad. Like that. Yeah. All right. Let's move on from one Alabama quarterback to another and let's talk about Bryce Young. Um, the Panthers' offense is really depressing to watch, but I put myself through it because um, I watch all the rookie quarterbacks in detail. So um, in this first quarter, not very much to do, um, only four plays. Um, has a nice intermediate pass and a couple of short completions. Um, has an incompletion to Ian Thomas down in the red zone, um, which would have been a touchdown, but it bonks off Ian Thomas's face mask. So uh, great play there. Um <laughs> Uh, he has another incompletion, which wasn't his fault, where Thielen kind of, uh, he's expecting him to stop on the route to help him avoid the hit, but Thielen just kind of keeps running and runs himself into a hit and doesn't even catch the ball. So that was great to see. Um, a couple of short completions uh, for 6 and 12 yards, um, and then has another drop here, or not, not another drop, um, another couple of intermediate completions um, for 10 and 15 yards that I thought he showed um, good placement and um, good awareness of the bodies around the receivers that he was throwing to. 
Um, after another string of short completions that goes through the end of the second quarter and early into the third quarter, um, he hits a string of intermediate completions for 12, 12, 14, 13 yards, um, and then another 12-yard completion on a short screen pass, um, and then takes a brutally bad sack um, late in the third quarter. Uh, he's there deep into the Vikings territory. Young gets sacked, fumbles the ball. Um, it's picked up and returned for a touchdown. Just a very, very bad decision. Doesn't really have a hot answer on the play, but he kind of just freaks out and, and loses the ball. So um, really didn't like to see that. Um, has another sack um, late in the third quarter um, on a third and eight, where I didn't think that one was his fault. He, he like had nowhere to go with the ball at all. Um, in the fourth quarter, um, it's, it's more of the same. Um, Young under a ton of pressure from the Vikings blitz. Not very many answers. Um, takes another bad sack on third and eight in uh, Vikings territory. Puts them out of field goal range and they have to punt. Um, he makes a couple of nice throws for an 18-yard gain uh, to DJ Chark. Ball's a little bit ahead of him, I thought, on that 18-yard gain, but um, good play nonetheless. Um, after a 4- and 14-yard completion, the 14-yard completion was pretty impressive to, to Terrace Marshall. He has a batted ball. Um, they're, now they're um, near the Vikings goal line with a chance to score and potentially tie the game. Um, Young throws a, a batted ball where it kind of looks like he gets swallowed up by the pressure um, and then takes a bad sack um, for a nine-yard loss um, at, at, uh, the, at the 91-yard line, so the Vikings' nine-yard line. That puts them at a third and 18, um, which is third and goal. Um, Young has a brutally bad turn down. Um, where on third and nine, he has an open double move to Adam Thielen um, against what is a, a, what looks like a zero blitz. And he just, for whatever reason, doesn't throw it, doesn't see it, scrambles left outside the pocket and tries to make something happen, but ends up throwing it away. Just really, really bad um, vision on that play. And then takes a sack to end the game where he just can't take a sack there. Um, you just have to get the ball off on fourth down. Um, so yeah, brutal, brutal way for the game to end. But Young was largely impressive for stretches of this game um in between there was the sack fumble that was returned for the touchdown by the vikings and at the end of the game he managed pressure very poorly um and didn't really do a good job at all um, avoiding sacks but i thought for a large portion of the game he was very very accurate um i guess that's to be expected with the number of screens that they were throwing but still something to point out um looked very comfortable working the intermediate middle areas of the field which is a trait that he's always possessed, but um, Panthers offense just horribly, horribly ill-equipped to generate explosive plays right now. Um, their best guy for D, uh, for generating explosive plays is DJ Chark, and he's still working back from injury. Um, Terrace Marshall is a bust. I, I, I can't sugarcoat that at, at all. Um, and Adam Thielen, while I still think he's a solid player, um, he almost exclusively has to work the intermediate and underneath areas of the field. So... Um, they really, really desperately need juice on the perimeter. And frankly, as much as it hurts me to say it, um, the quarterback is not good enough right now to make up for that lack of juice on, on the perimeter. He needs more help um, to open up that most that more efficient, more explosive part of the field. Um, and this is something that we talked about for him before the season started. Like His bread and butter is getting the ball out quick, working the intermediate middle area of the field, um, using his arm angles to create plays out of structure, but they're not like deep down the field type of plays there. I turn pressure plays into 10-yard completions and 15-yard completions type thing. And that hasn't shown up entirely yet because he's still working to adjust to the speed of the game. But um, even if they do show up in due time, 
um, down the stretch of the season, I still have no hope for this offense generating explosive plays. They just don't have the personnel. Um, the quarterback doesn't have the requisite physical tools um, or outlier touch or something of that sort to, to make up for it. And even if he did, like we saw from rookie Joe Burrow when he didn't have any help at all on the perimeter, it can still be tough to um, generate deep passes um, without actual receivers. So, um, yeah, Panthers offense, absolutely brutal watch right now. Um, do not recommend turning on the film, but I, I do because I like the player uh, at quarterback and um, I have to watch all the rookies right now. Yeah, it's very and a very unfortunate situation right now because I'm also someone like you who likes to give Bryce the benefit of the doubt in this situation because things are not looking good for that Panthers team right now. And I think it kind of shows the organizational differences from a team like the Panthers to like the Colts and Texans who I think all three quarterbacks came in very talented, but the Colts and Texans clearly are showing early in this year that they came in with a co- with a scheme, with coaching, with pieces around their players that could at least make a somewhat usable offense at this point in time. Uh, whereas the Panthers, I feel like drafted uh, Bryce Young, threw him on a team, and said, "Figure it out," kind of situation. And I, a lot of number one overall quarterbacks do have to deal with this kind of issue where. Yeah, they're not in the best situation coming in because they were the best player in the draft and they're on a terrible team. But I think this Panther situation is looking historically bad. I mean, it felt like Bryce Young was under pressure all day long. And granted, this Vikings front seven is solid. Everson Griffin's had an entire year. But almost every drop back, we saw Bryce Young under pressure. And it goes to show how ridiculously bad this offensive line is and pds talked about the receiving woes uh in enough detail to where i'll just say they're terrible at this point there's nothing more i need to add there they're not looking good adam thielen has been a little bit of a surprise but he is still more than not washed terrace marshall like you said absolute bust DJ Chark has looked good in spurts, but I don't think he's fully back enough, and Miles Sanders has not been as good as they wanted him to be, likely because of how bad that offensive line is. And with all that being said, there is definitely some places to put blame on Bryce Young because, like you said, this offense isn't going because of all those other issues. But, yeah, there is a certain – some things to blame with Bryce Young. And I think the reason I'm a little bit worried about Bryce Young, definitely not someone I'd rule out just yet because I absolutely do still think, given the right situation, he can still be good. But there is some problems that I had coming into the year with him, some concerns that are coming to show. For one, I did say that you would need to put Bryce Young in offense with a good offensive line for him to succeed early on and even long-term, kind of because of his frame and the way he plays. I mean, we saw in Bama, Bryce Young was a lot more of a strong, poised quarterback in the pocket because I think he could depend on his offensive line to, worst case, give him a decent showing so where he could stay in the pocket and still deliver and play the way he plays because he does have a little bit of faith in them. And I could see the absolute lack in confidence in his offensive line and the way Bryce Young plays because he's not staying and trying to maneuver in the pocket and deliver plays that way. We see him get out the pocket a little bit more. 
be forced to make something happen a lot more, which just simply isn't Bryce Young's game. And we're never going to see a successful offense work that way. And I just think the kind of tying into what I've said with the last one, the frame is kind of showing to be an issue. I think with teams like this, you would want a quarterback with a little bit more of a physical presence that can make the simple plays like just sitting in the pocket and delivering on a quick slant, which Bryce simply can't do because of his height. And you see him have to avoid pressure and go down a lot of the time because of his lack of size. And obviously those are things you can work around. You can create offenses to kind of mask that uh, issue. And we've seen other quarterbacks with smaller statures be in those situations. But right now, this Panthers offense is very, very far from that. I don't know if they have the pieces to build a team around Bryce which should succeed. Because more so than Anthony Richardson or C.J. Stroud, you do need a specific sort of offense to work with Bryce Young. And at this point in time, I'm not sure if the Panthers are really a lot of teams are capable of making that happen in a quick turnaround. So a little bit of concern there. But moving on from one young quarterback who is looking concerning to another young quarterback who's looking a lot more concerning this year, and that's Kenny Pickett. And coming into this year, the Steelers team had a lot of hype, and a lot of it was because of this offense. This offense in preseason and what – People thought of the projected jumps from guys like Kenny Pickett, George Pickens, etc. A lot of people expected the Steelers' offense to be good, and I thought they could maybe get it going after a strong performance against the Bad Raiders team, uh, against an improving Texans defense with some pieces. I did think they'd be able to put together a strong performance, and this it absolutely was not the case in this game uh, from Uh, the Steelers and it starts with Kenny Pickett and you see something like his completion percentage in this game and I would think immediately from that that he he did look good just automatically off the bat from that but to me when you see such a good completion percentage but such poor yardage return to me it it made me question what was going on and you when you look at the film it just seems like Kenny Pickett for whatever reason had no intention of pushing the ball downfield. I don't know if it's Matt Canada or them not trusting Kenny Pickett or Pickett not trusting himself, but it's just time and time again, they're going short with like quick screens, quick slants to someone like George Pickens, check downs to Jalen Warren, but it's never a developed thought out pass downfield. When you have deep threats, like someone like Calvin Austin, even a George Pickens and contested catch situations is good going downfield they have the weapons to do it and for whatever reason they're not attacking downfield and it really limits Kenny Pickett who does kind of need that space to operate he's someone who is a primary pocket passer and you're not going to ask him to get out of the pocket and make a play when things break down uh so you do want him to be able to pick apart defenses not only short but also deep and when you take out the biggest part of his game and being able to also go deep and then dissect underneath it puts him in a bad situation and that's why we see him playing as poor as he is he's holding the ball too long because he's not things are not developing underneath quick that's why we see him take three sacks which Pickett was supposed to be a guy with great ability to maneuver in the pocket and not take a whole lot of sacks and then I'd say that interception was absolutely his fault kind of just threw straight into coverage One of the worst interceptions I've seen of the day, and especially when you have 
uh, it happening so early on over the middle of the field. It's just, it, it, it's a real killer, and it definitely set the tone for the Steelers the rest of the day. Uh, definitely not one of the best performances, and definitely making me worry a little bit about Kenny Pickett long-term. Yeah, so I said I could write an essay about C.J. Stroud and the Texans' performance, you know, on the good good side and, and how I think that um, that's working together to create a great situation. Um, wow, where do I even start with the Steelers' offense? So I guess what I'll say is um, this Matt Canada performance in terms of play calling and structure is some of the worst I've seen in the NFL this year, for sure. And, pro- and maybe some of the worst I've seen, like, in my entire time watching the NFL. It is so bad. It's like... It's it's the same like ten plays and they're all like terrible plays. It's it's just I, I don't even like know what to say. Like um, last week against the Raiders, Pickett showed up and, and played a solid game because he was able to generate at least something to Calvin Austin um, on that deep post that went for a touchdown. Um, and this game, they they just they just like don't seem intent on doing efficient things that help offenses. Like I I don't even know what's going on. Like. I think that Matt Canada should have been fired three days ago, a week ago, before the season, whenever. Like, do it now if you can. <laughs> Yesterday, say. just just any time. Like, we've been waiting on this for a year and a half now. This is some of the worst stuff you, you'll see in the NFL. It's horrible. Um, and, yeah, I, I don't think Pickett played well. Um, just... I, I don't even want to talk about it. Let, let, let's, go to, let's go to five questions, and um, you can start us off. Yeah, uh, I guess that'll wrap up our three up, three down. Moving on to the next segment with our, I guess, essentially our preview of the next week uh, with the three questions, I'd assume. And I'll get started off with my first one. Uh, As we saw, Anthony Richardson had a pretty uh, impressive second half last week, almost came back and uh, put up a good performance against that Rams team. Uh, looking into this week at home against a pretty strong Titans front seven, how do you think Anthony Richardson fares against a Titans team that has given a lot of good quarterback struggle this year? So Richardson, strong field quarterback, I would describe him as with exceptional ability to run. Um, and he kind of has this propensity to not take sacks. I don't know if you saw the play, I don't know if it was last week or a couple of weeks ago, but he had like a throwaway with his left hand, which was like, that was like very impressive to me in terms of having the creative ability to, and knowledge. Like, oh, I can't, I can't take sacks. Sacks are really killers for the offense. So um, that that part is very impressive for me. Um, I think that he could be forced into a few bad decisions past the line of scrimmage um, and errant throws. Um, those are areas where he's definitely affected by pressure. Um, he occasionally has a tendency to throw um, an ill-advised pass under pressure. Um, and he definitely has a tendency to miss passes um, when he's fully protected, of course, but um, also when he's under pressure. Um, so that could definitely happen. Um, but I think just Richardson's skills already um, in terms of avoiding sacks and, and rushing the ball, um, they give him um, a solid toolbox of, of things to do when he's under pressure. So, um, yeah, I don't have significant concern about that um, right now. All right, so let's move on to my question. So it's also a pass rush question, but it's for a, a quarterback who operates a little differently under pressure. So for Trevor Lawrence, um, the Bills' defense has been ferocious, especially in terms of the pass rush. Um, and do you think Trevor Lawrence will be avo- will be able to avoid turnovers um, with 
the significant amount of heat that I assume that he's going to be under this week? Uh, the short answer is no. I actually expect him to have a couple of turnovers in this game. And to me, the biggest reason is because kind of the nature of this matchup. We know in a matchup, especially against a team like the Bills, who's going to put up a lot of points, and uh, seeing how the T- Jaguars' offense has certainly struggled compared to what the expectations were coming into this year, largely because of how much the skill positions on this Jaguars team have been underperforming. I think uh, Trevor Lawrence will be kind of forced to be even more aggressive than he normally is because of how high-powered and how high-scoring this Bills team is going to be. I mean, we just saw them score 48 against this Dolphins team and even push them past their limit of being able to keep up. And I think the Jaguars, who are in a much worse situation right now than their uh, Florida companions in the Miami Dolphins, uh, they're going to have to be even more aggressive. You're going to have to see uh, Trevor Lawrence fit balls into even more tight windows and I know they have just had the Tredavious White injury so this uh Jaguars receiving course should theoretically get more open than we've seen the past couple of weeks but it's been worse defenses in recent memory that we've seen this Jaguars team struggle against uh specifically the receiving core in terms of not getting separation and when you have that Bills front seven which I believe is adding Von Miller in in this week for the his return of the year or maybe they should be getting after Trevor Lawrence and with his receivers not necessarily getting the most separation I do expect him to be forced into a lot of aggressive passes maybe even get hit a couple of times in situations he might fumble so I don't expect him to avoid turnovers but I do see a world where if he is aggressive and makes up for those turnovers that is almost inevitable in my eyes he could maybe keep up with this Bills team and put on a show but in general, I don't expect him to be very clean, I guess you could say. Uh, and moving on from one big name to another one, in Jalen Hurts and the Eagles probably going up against one of their harder matchups of the year so far against the impressive Rams team, bringing back uh, Cooper Cup in this game as well, uh, or likely to. Do you expect this Eagles offense to play a similar way we saw last week where they've explored the deep passing game and kind of gone back to that? Or do you expect more of the same with a lot of ground and pound against the Rams team who really can't stop that aside from Aaron Donald? Yeah, so Aaron Donald, fantastic matchup here. Aaron Donald against interior of the Eagles with Jason Kelsey there. Um, should be fun to watch there. Um, but yeah, I, I think the, the Eagles should absolutely run all over the, the Rams defense. Um, I, I said run, but they, they should pass all over the, the Rams defense. Um, I think that the Rams secondary is really weak, um, especially when you consider the fact that A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith are the receivers on the other side. So yeah, yeah. expecting a lot from this Eagles passing offense. Um, and yeah, I also took a question from this game because I'm really excited to watch this game. I think there's a ton of potential here for shootout. Um, and so on the other side, uh, my question is, so it's a little bit of a long one, but I need to discuss a little bit. So uh, Matthew Stafford has been absolutely on fire. I've been very, very impressed with his ability to fit balls into tight windows. Um, doesn't have the turnover-worthy plays that his interception count would indicate. Um, so that's a little bit more impressive than, than the box score would indicate. Um, so what do you think the Eagles' defense are going to be able to do to slow him down? So I think Cup is 
a significant mismatch nightmare for them in terms of his size, um, strength, ability to separate, quickness. There's just no one who can guard Cup on, the, on that team. Um, and Puka Nakua is a really, really strong zone beater. Um, and I think that the Eagles are kind of best when they play zone. So um, will Stafford be able to overcome the obvious mismatch that is his offensive line against the ferocious Eagles pass rush? Um, or do you think that the Eagles can actually do something to dent um, the Rams receivers and yeah, kind of what do you think will happen there? Yeah, so at face value, I think this Eagles de- uh, defense is put in a very, very difficult, tough situation because they're facing uh, offense which features both Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua, which we've never seen before. And judging with how Puka started the year, and we know obviously the talent level of Cooper Cup, I feel like there's a lot McVay can and will do with this kind of new and improved offense that the Eagles haven't seen any film of at all because, well, obviously Cooper Cup has not played with Puka yet. So I think that inherently puts them at a weak spot. And with them, not really they, – they have a good secondary, but really no one in the league I feel like matches up with that good of a top two in Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua. I do think there will be at a significant uh, disadvantage there, but – I do think what ends up happening is that front seven ends up dominating. We've seen other games in this Eagles season already. The one that immediately pops up to mind is uh, the game against the Buccaneers, where I do think the Bucs did have an offense and did have the receivers kind of with Mike Evans and uh, Chris Godwin to put up numbers against this Eagles team. I mean, both of those guys have been getting a lot of separation. Even in terms of Mike Evans, we've seen him – put up big numbers, not getting a whole lot of separation because he's just so good at contested catches. But what they ended up doing is consistently stacking the box and they would get to the quarterback so fast with guys like Jalen Carter uh, that it wouldn't matter if on the back half the Bucks receivers were getting open or whatnot because Baker was under so much duress and so much pressure. And Stafford kind of fits that same mold of player who's not super athletic, but does kind of have – he's a better version to where he's got a much bigger arm, but he's also kind of got that moxie to be aggressive and make those kind of tough plays in the pocket. And even with that sort of mold in Baker Mayfield, we saw the Eagles front seven put up a dominant performance against a bad offensive line, and I think the Rams' offensive line is just as bad. So I do think the Eagles put in the effort to shut down the run game, to put – constant duress under uh, Matt Stafford and just have him under so much pressure that it doesn't matter how open Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua get because they just can't deal with it. And I do think the Rams still put up a lot of points because of those mismatch, but I think at the end of the day, the Eagles will run away with it or maybe pull out, uh, pull out at the end because that front seven is just too much for the Rams to handle. And... I guess moving on to my last question of the week and going to my favorite game. I think this is a week full of uh, big matchups, but I think the Sunday night matchup against two NFC heavyweights does round off the day. And my biggest question here is we've seen Brock Purdy show out against bad defenses, and we've also seen him struggle a little bit and almost get lucky in terms of not throwing picks against better defenses. Uh, how do you think Brock Purdy and his somewhat careless nature uh, so far this season results against a Cowboys defense that has ball hawked and converted a lot in terms of opportunities for turnovers and even scoring points? 
Yeah, I would set the over-under on turnovers for Brock Purdy at like one and a half in this game. Um, it just kind of depends on if the Cowboys defense is, is up for the task of catching the ball. Um, now, what I will say is that Purdy's ability to generate positives is like really, really good. Um, honestly, I think that um, the, the Niners can have a high-scoring game even with Brock Purdy making a ton of mistakes. Um, I think their receivers um, and perimeter weapons in general are just so, so good. Um, I, I mentioned earlier in the podcast that I think Ayuk is on track to being a Pro Bowl receiver. Um, I might might even be underrating him, honestly. He 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 looks like he could be an All-Pro. He looks like an absolutely dominant presence. Every single catch from Brandon Ayuk this year has gone for a first down or a touchdown. So, fun stat there. Um, I think that the ability of the Niners to win on the perimeter with Ayuk and Kittle, um, we'll see what happens with Debo's health. Um, but even uh, a fail-safe option of Christian McCaffrey, it just it just provides such a good environment for Purdy to to make positive plays. Um, yeah, so I think that even with multiple interceptable passes or something of that sort, um, the Niners' offense can still function at a high level. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's move on to another young quarterback, and let's talk about C.J. Stroud one more time. So going against this Falcons defense, which I think has been sneaky underrated, um, they've done a good job pressuring the quarterback um, and their secondary with the addition of Jesse Bates um, and healthier play from AJ Terrell, I think has been kind of impressive. Um, they've done a good job in terms of stopping the run. So I think that or uh, they've done a poor job in terms of stopping the run. Um, but I think that their pass defense has given me some intrigue. So um, what do you think this uh, defense will do in terms of um, being able to uh, pressure CJ Stroud, stop the run, uh, put him into disadvantage, disadvantageous situations. Um, I know the Steelers defense, we expected them to heat up the quarterback quite a lot, but um, I, I would say that the Falcons defense, um, with their ability to really stop the run um, and kind of put CJ Stroud in long uh, down and distances, um, it could lead to some some interesting situations. Yeah, so long story short, I honestly think this Texans offense continues rolling against uh, this uh, Falcons defense. And to me, the biggest reason is kind of the way Stroud has played so far this year. I think the way he's played, the only way to stop him is to consistently put pressure on him and force him into a mistake. Or kind of like we saw the Ravens do, just get him so uncomfortable that he has to get rid of the ball immediately and not really utilize that deep playability we've seen him have so much. And I do think this Atlanta defense poses a different front because they do have a really good secondary that could match up against guys like Nico Collins, Tank Dell. And I think Atlanta is good at minimizing the big play. So I don't really expect the Titans to just light up and score like as many points as we saw last week and just light up the Steelers defense the way they did, who have a little bit weaker of a back half. But I really don't think Atlanta has the front seven to consistently pressure CJ Stroud, force him into situations where he makes mistakes. And we've seen multiple times that CJ Stroud doesn't really fumble against these good secondaries uh, and doesn't really start making a whole lot of mistakes unless he's under a lot of duress, unless they're forcing him to make those mistakes. So I think CJ Stroud gets a lot of clean pockets and is able to 
kind of go underneath a lot more against this Atlanta defense and beat this defense in a different way. I don't expect like 50 plus yard touchdowns happening in this game, but I also don't expect a whole lot of turnovers. I think we see a different version of CJ Stroud in this one, who's a little bit more conservative, but he's forced to be because his receivers aren't making as many big plays. He's throws a lot more balls into tight windows and I think he's still able to score sol- uh, solidly and produce decent offense despite him not having the big plays because I think he is capable of playing that consistent way and he just hasn't had to and he will this weekend. All right. That'll be all from us for this one. Make sure to like, leave a rating, do what you need to do on whatever platform that you're listening on. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at RealRahulPotty2 and at PD34 underscore. That'll be all from me. That'll be all from Potty. We'll see you guys in the next one. Peace. Yep. Peace out.